Welcome to Making Bread, Making Money in the Modern Age. Now, here's your host, Matt Barkley. Welcome back to Making Bread, where we talk about all the new ways to make money using the technology of 2022. I'm your host, NFL quarterback, Matt Barkley. My guest today has done a little bit of everything, and we're going to talk about nearly all of it. He's currently both the CEO of an NFT company and the host of a podcast, so you know he's the perfect fit right here. John Orlando, welcome to the show. How we doing? I'm good. I'm good, man. How you doing? I am rocking. Glad to get this on the docket. I've been been following you and love your gregariousness, your unbashfulness. Just you say things like it is. And as a comedian, I know you're a former comedian. It's kind of a hot topic now, but I would love to hear a quick thought on the Will Smith, Chris Rock section. You've probably answered this already 500 times, but curious. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's crazy. You know, I mean, just comedians in general over the last, whatever it's been four or five years seem to be on the hot seat. You know, that used to be the unwritten rule that comedy gets a pass, right? The comedians get a pass, whatever it is, however sensitive the subject matter is, it's okay if it's in the name of comedy. Um, and I think we got to get back to that. I mean, what Will Smith did is absolutely insane to stand up and walk on stage and smack Chris Rock is just nuts. I mean, it's so nuts. I'm sure he clearly, I think, pretty sure he regrets it now, you know, but you just, you got to be better than that. You know, you expect way more out of Will Smith than that. That was just awful. Yeah. I like that take. And that seems to be the, the common thing from, from standups and different people I've seen in the show business is that no, you don't, you don't let something like that happen. Yeah. But I do have to ask too, your, your podcast, Action Junkies, you've been in kind of this space for a while now as just someone for me is kind of getting started in the podcast world. I've been in front of camera more so on the interviewee side, just in my life as a as an athlete. Yeah. Any podcast tips moving forward? Man, yeah. I mean, I think you're already you're already doing it. You know, you've been on the other side. I think the key is just not to make it about yourself. You know, it's hard for some people because usually the people that want to be a podcaster. They do it because they want it to be about themselves, you know, and I think that that's the key. You know, I think that's what makes Rogan so great is he lays out a lot. He lets the guests talk and he jumps in when when he should jump in and he's he's not afraid to let the guest be the guest. I think that's the important thing. But just that that conversation, it's just all about that flow. You know, when you're unscripted and you just kind of sit down like we are and you just have a conversation, it's a good thing. It's fun. I've been doing it five years. I love it. I mean, it beats working. It is. And I think when you are in a learning mode and you're just in a normal being yourself mode, it's not about me. Like I, the last thing I want to do is just talk about myself, but getting to talk to people that are much smarter than me, that are in, in some fields that I don't know as much, I can learn from you. And we can go back and forth and grow. I think that's what what it boils down to. So the sad part is, I don't want to burst your bubble. You're not going to learn anything from me today. I hope you weren't hoping. I hope you weren't hoping you were going to learn something from me today because that's shaky. I don't know. You're going to be you're going to be <laughs> dropping knowledge. But before we get to your story, we got some knowledge and ways we can learn from around the web in our section we call whale watching. Mm-hmm. 
The WNBA is getting in the NFT game, and as New York Liberty announced, they will be releasing 400 NFTs to coincide with their first game of the season. So if you could collaborate with any pro sports team to release an NFT collection, who would you pick? What would it look like? Any sports team? Yeah. Well, I probably got to pick my Dodgers because I'm a diehard Dodger fan, and I absolutely believe they're going to win the season win record, which I believe is 116. I'm, I've got them coming in at 118 games this year, and they're on pace to do exactly that. Obviously, it's way early, and they'll never get there, but it's fun to make believe they will. I think they could, but yeah, I would want to collaborate with the Dodgers. I think there's a lot of fun on the NFT side that you could do with any sports team, you know, in terms of on the utility side of the NFT, right? The access that maybe some of those NFTs could get you batting practice on the field or uh, dress up, you know, kind of like the fantasy camp thing, that kind of stuff. Like there's so much you could do that would be really fun. I know you have a funny segment on even defining what a sport is and whether golf fits that category or not. <laughs> wow, you do follow. We'll let that slide for another conversation. Okay, fair enough. In other news, the first quarter numbers for Netflix were pretty rough, and they lost subscribers for the first time in over 10 years. And even more troubling, they are projected to lose far more in the second quarter. Do you think this is the beginning of the end for Netflix? I don't. I've heard a lot of, a lot of my friends do believe that. I don't. I think they got caught up in the PC, you know, being PC and and all that stuff. And I think they just suffered a little backlash, but I think they'll they'll rebound. I mean, come on. Ozark is on Netflix. The people are coming. Is that your top show on Netflix? Yeah. Season four, part two comes out this Friday. I can't wait. There you go. I rented out a movie theater to watch it. And I'm not even kidding you. I did it for the first part of this season. It's actually surprisingly cheaper than you think to do if you have a big group of people. A hundred percent. This is, and it's a small theater. It's a place called the Art House here in Vegas. It holds like their biggest theater. They have the, the recliners. It's really nice. And it holds like 50 people. Like it's nothing. Like I have a wait list. <laughs> no brainer. Yeah. No brainer. More, more content like Ozark. For sure. On Netflix. We'll bump subscribers. Here we go. A hundred percent. Uber announced that they will be adding travel by planes, trains, and automobiles. Now they already have cars, but rental cars are being added to their service as well in the UK with the goal to eventually become a one-stop shop for all your travel needs. So would you feel confident booking an Uber plane? Ooh, that makes me nervous. But I mean, think back when Uber first started, it goes against all of the things we were taught to say no to when we were little. Do not accept rides from strangers, <laughs> right? And yet... We all opted in on that. So I wouldn't doubt if they uh, are able to pull that off. Don't get in a plane with strangers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my uncle's a pilot and I won't fly with him. So, uh, you know, why not Uber? I'll do it. We'll, we'll keep tabs on that. Yeah. Crypto.com announced that they will be the official sponsor for the 2022 FIFA World Cup, continuing a huge push from the company to get involved in pro sports sponsorships. I know you're into digital art and currencies, yep. uh, but I know you're also a longtime Dodgers fan, as we talked about. Yep. So how would you feel if Dodger Stadium was renamed Crypto.com Field? Bugs me. They're just I just saw an article the other day. They were talking about it's up for grabs, the bidding for Dodger Stadium naming rights. But I think it's going to be Dodger Stadium by whatever or the, you know, I think they're going to still use the words Dodger Stadium. But man, I get it. I know it's big money and, uh, you know, it's easy when you're a fan to like, oh, they shouldn't do that. They're a sellout. But like, 
when you own the team and you're talking about millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, like, come on, guys, like we got to be realistic with it. But uh, yeah, it kind of is upsetting, but it is what it is. Two arenas, stadiums in the same city by the same sponsor. Yeah. is the, I don't think that's ever happened before, has it? Yeah, probably not. And then here's the funny thing is like, isn't it always still going to be Staples Center? Like, it's just it's so committed to our brain. I still call it that. Right. Like hard to, to make that switch. When Staples is not even no longer around. There's no brick and mortar. We're still going to be calling it Staples Center, right? <laughs> right. Like, I still call the Kodak Theater up on Hollywood Boulevard the Kodak Theater. I don't even know what it's called, but it's not Kodak. It hasn't been Kodak for like 10 years. I guess this next generation will only know crypto and not Staples, and then it's a generational marketing play. So True. You never know. Yeah. The education department continues to announce fixes to trim the amount of student loan debt facing millions of students. So... Speaking generally, which of these three takes best sums up your stance on student loan debt? So A, eliminate it all. B, I'm fine with making changes to limit some of it. Or C, you signed up for the loan, now you got to pay it. Yeah, I think it's C, you signed up for it and you got to pay it. But I'd almost encourage people to stop signing up for it. Like, I don't know, man. I've, I am a college dropout. I dropped out of college with a semester to go. So I'm probably the wrong guy to take life advice from. But I just think unless you're going to be a lawyer, a doctor or something that you absolutely has to have to have the degree in, you're going to start at the bottom in most things that you go do. So save those four years, save the time and the money and just go get a job in the field you want to work in and just work your way up. You can do it. I think a lot of people are, are realizing that whether it is the junior college route to cut off time that they actually need to spend at a university or going straight into a trade or learning online. I mean, the amount of information you can learn online now compared to when even we were in college is staggering. And if you're all you're trying to do is get a job, there's there's ways to do it, you know? Yeah, for sure. I like to research who I interview and talk to a little before the show, but going through your resume, the list goes on and on. I mean, either you're an NFT guy or a crypto guy or a traditional investor, but you're you're all over the place. And yeah. I want to go a little rapid fire here. I'm just going to read off a few things okay. I read about you and <laughs> tell me whether they're true or false. Okay. All right. You ready? You did stand-up comedy for 10 years. Poorly. Yes, that's true. You were a publicist for athletes and models. Yeah. From after uh, my stand-up career, I started a PR. It was crazy. I was a comedian on a Friday. I started a PR firm on a Monday, like after September 11th happened, pretty much. Traveling was such a, a hard thing to do at the time, and nobody felt like laughing. I did a favor for a friend, and uh, somehow it turned into a, having a PR firm where I worked with everybody from Marshall Falk to Marcus Allen, Warren Moon, Frank Trigg, the UFC fighter, Coco Crisp, the baseball player. The list goes on and on, and uh, you know, we produced uh, several events at the Playboy Mansion, uh, events for Maxim, uh, calendar release parties, all kinds of stuff. It was it was a good time for for ten years. Comedian, publicist, the list goes on. Yeah, basically, I can't keep a job, Matt. That's the problem. You launched your own PR marketing boutique, and how about this? You produced events at the Super Bowl, Grammys, and Sundance. True or false? True, true. We did the best damn sports show Super Bowl party in Phoenix when the Giants played the Patriots. And we had, oh, funny, it comes full circle. We, You know who we hired for the first night for entertainment? Tell me. Chris Rock did stand up, but we did it with uh, the Holly Rod Foundation with Rodney Pete and raised a bunch of money for a good cause uh, for autism and uh, Parkinson's disease. We had Chris Rock perform one night. We had Ludacris the other night. And we had, I want to say Cedric the Entertainer 
doing the at the in the Bud Light Lounge at the uh, event that we did. Yeah, it was fun. Okay, the diversity is insane. How about this? True or false? You led a mobile app development company for celebrities. Yeah, there was a company called Metal Mobile, based in Orange County, <laughs> and then we. It was early, you know, it was like 2010, 2011. So saying iPhone app, a mobile app was like a foreign language to people. Right. You know, I remember telling everyone, you will have an app in the next 12 to 18 months. If you're a business, you just don't know it yet. And people thought I was crazy. And now I say the same things about NFTs. You will absolutely have an NFT, multiple NFTs. If you are a person, place or thing in business in the next 12 to 18 months, you just may not know it yet. If they're smart, they'll listen to you. Yeah. I wonder if they'll listen to you on this one. You are the director of talent relations and one of the heads of a new business development for a company called Hang With. Yeah. So that was born out of the app company. Actually, it was a passion project over there that we built. And it was basically Instagram Live or Facebook Live before Instagram Live or Facebook Live. We were a little early. That's my problem, Matt, is I'm always too early. So I never cash out in millions. I just get involved in things early and then uh, flounder around like a fish out of water somehow. Uh, I always miss the big payday because I'm too early. But yeah, we had this live streaming platform. Our partners on the platform were like 50 Cent, Cascade, Terrell Owens. We had some amazing people brought. I remember agents and managers that I would call and try to get their talent using the hang with platform. And I remember they would tell multiple agents and managers in Hollywood told me, you're never going to get celebrities to broadcast their lives live once a week, let alone daily, unless you're paying them. And I think we all know how that ended up shaking out too soon. I was too soon. The innovation is through the roof here. You are the CEO of a podcast network, which we discussed. True. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I host Action Junkies. Calling it a network today might be a little misleading. We're, we're getting it off the ground. Conglomerate. Yeah, we've got fitness junkies. Uh, we're bringing political junkies back. We're bringing Vegas junkies back. And at some point, there'll be golf junkies, car junkies, football junkies, everything junkies. Junkies. Yeah. Speaking of junkies, you live in Vegas where you play poker professionally and gamble on sports. <laughs> I p play poker like a degenerate. I wouldn't say professionally, but I have played in the main event and the World Series didn't do very well twice. I'm looking forward to it this year in, in July. Events start at end of May, but the, ma the main event is in July. And uh, yeah, I love playing poker. I've, I've had a lot of good days, definitely a lot of bad days. It's a very frustrating game, but it's fun. Do you play? For fun, not in any way big money games at all. Okay. All right. I want, I want to talk about that, but is there anything I missed on the list? No, that was pretty good. You did a good job. So with the, with the Vegas connection and betting, do you approach gambling with an investment mindset? No. Or, or like a, a at least methodical, not necessarily investment, but do you have rules that you play by or is any of it emotion like reading the room related? So I co-host a sports betting show called Wise Cracks with a guy named Bill Krakenberger, who is a very famous sports better. He has been making a living betting on sports for 20 years or so, and he is always preaching the importance of bankroll management. I, however, am horrible at that aspect <laughs> across the board. I am a gut feeling guy. I am a, the Dodgers have lost three in a row. They have to win tonight. You know, right. it's been black at the roulette wheel five spins in a row. It's got to be red. I'm that idiot in the casino. And uh, none of the things I just said are true. It doesn't have to be the opposite after four times or whatever. It could be black 26 times in a row. It is what it is. 
It, with poker, though, it's a little different. I mean, it's, it's less gambling. It's definitely more strategic, the betting and stuff. And I do believe you can read some people. But even when you read the people in poker and you get it right, there's still usually cards coming that can change the the outcome. So there's definitely a lot of chance involved. Who Who's the biggest celebrity you've played with that you'd say? That I've played with? Gambled with? Ooh. Against? Well, I played uh, not poker, but I have a crazy story back in on February 18th. 9th. Do we have time? How, how much time? How much? How long do you want this answer? We got time. This is this sounds worth it. OK, this is going to be worth it. On February 18th, 1993, you know, it's good story coming when you remember the <laughs> date. OK, yes. I was 22 years old. I was working at a shoe store in Brentwood in L.A. called Front Runners. It was like a glorified footlocker. And I sold athletic shoes, you know, high end sweatpants, whatever. But it's in Brentwood. So you're a lot of your clients are people were people like Robin Williams from back in the day. And, you know, MacGyver and, you know, just the who's who in Hollywood. Anyway, I get fired from this job for being late too many times within a six month span. And I found myself in Vegas that same day cashing in a winning the Cowboys won the Super Bowl in 93 they beat, beat the Bills 52 to 17 it was the largest margin of victory in Super Bowl history I'm a diehard Cowboys fan even though there's a Raiders helmet over my shoulder because I'm supporting the hometown team and I'm friends with Marcus Allen I'm a big Cowboy fan so they were 10 to 1 to win it all that year so I put 200 on in the beginning of the season so I had a winning ticket $2,000 I had to go collect so I'm like I did the responsible thing, Matt. You get fired from your job, you go to Vegas, right? <laughs> That's what any responsible <laughs> human being would do. So I go to Vegas to cash in this ticket and I get the $2,000. It was over at the Mirage and I blow through the two grand, Matt, in I'll be nice and say 15 minutes it took me to blow through the whole two grand. I'm miserable. I go and I get money out of the ATM machine. I lose that to the point where I can't even get any more. I max out a credit card. I lose that. Back then, I don't know if you could still do it now. I wouldn't advise it. If Even if you can do it, don't do it if you're listening or watching this. I wrote a check to the casino, to the Mirage. For <laughs> they accepted that? Yeah, they took a check. It was crazy. Basically, an I, a check is really, let's just call it what it is. Not it's a an cashier's I, check, a regular check. It's an IOU, right? I mean, maybe it's good, maybe it's not. So I cashed this check and uh, for a thousand bucks at the Mirage. And this is my Hail Mary to the end zone, right? I blow through 400 real quick. And uh, now I'm like, okay, I got $600. Now the sane, believe it or not, there is a sane me. And I'm like, okay, let's just chill out, slow down, the new plan is, but by then it was like maybe two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm on like a six o'clock flight. I'm like, let's just last enough to get back to LA. And on Monday, let's go back to the shoe store and go begging for your job back. That's the new plan of action. Okay. So I'm sitting there at this blackjack table. It's a Friday afternoon. So I'm all by myself. The town's not very busy yet. And my dealer says, oh, look, there's Dr. J. Remember Dr. J, the old basketball player? You're probably too young. No, Sixers. Yeah. But uh, OK, he was the, he was he was the Michael Jordan yeah. of the 70s. Right. I t- look over my shoulder and it's not Dr. J. It is indeed Michael Jordan. So I tell the dealer, I'm like, what's wrong with you? That's Michael Jordan. That's not Dr. J. She's like, no, no, he's been here for a couple of days. I'm like, listen to me that I'm like, I'm look, I'm wearing the shoes. It's Michael Jordan. Whatever. He does another lap around the casino about 10 minutes later. And she's like, look, there he is again, Dr. J. So I turn around. I'm like, so far, I'm like, hey, Mike. He turns around. He's all by himself. I swear on my life. This is a true story. 
He turns around and I point to the dealer and I say, she thinks you're Dr. J. He comes walking over. He makes a joke. He says, I get it. You know, we all look alike. I get it. You know, uh, he makes that. Jo- that's he made that joke. Not me. No cancel here. OK, so uh, he sits down and literally I'm playing blackjack with Michael Jordan. It's craziest thing. Oh, here's something you didn't cover. Again, you're probably too young. I grew up in a showbiz family. My father is Tony Orlando. If you know the song, right. Tie Yellow Ribbon or Knock Three Times, ask your grandparents if you're listening. They'll explain it to you. You know, the unwritten rule is when you meet someone famous and you have a famous father that you're riding his coattails, as I do, try to work that in the conversation because it it changes like the, it's the unwritten rule. It means it's uh, you're more worthy to talk to uh, <laughs> if it's a celebrity. I don't yeah. know. It's just weird. So I worked that in, you know, Mike is like really cool. He's like, oh, I used to watch your dad's show, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like in this like crazy like world now or like, how am I sitting here? I don't even care that I've lost all this money. Like I just met Michael Jordan. I mean, who cares about the money, right? So I got 600 bucks left and I say to him after about 20 or 30 minutes, I said, look, you ever play roulette? He's like, I love roulette. I'm like, let's go play roulette. Me and Michael Jordan, this is a true story. This is February 18th, 1993. We walk over the roulette wheel over at the Mirage. And I got 600 bucks. So my normal numbers that I play are 7, 9, 11, 26, and 30. Okay? So you do have rules. Those are my five. <laughs> those are Yeah, those are my numbers. So I tell Mike, I said, I'm going to play all those numbers, but I'm going to add 23 in your honor. I'm putting 100 bucks on every one. If I win, I get 3,500. If I lose, who cares? I had the greatest day of my life gambling with Michael Jordan. This is a win-win scenario. He puts $1,000 on red because uh, 23 is red. He puts 200 on number 23. The dealer spins the ball, and I told her, if you hit one of those numbers, I swear on my life, I will give you $500. Boom, it hits 23. No way. Crazy. I am high-fiving him. I got 3500 bucks. I throw her 500 He just won like, like $8,000. I do the same exact bet the next spin, and I even tell him, put 100 on 11. That's my favorite number in honor of my buddy Travis Woods, who wore 11 on my high school baseball team. I just like the way it looks, number 11. He puts 100 on 11. He puts 200 on 23. He puts $1,000 on red again. I tell the dealer, same thing. You hit one of those numbers. I give you 500 bucks. Boom, hits 11. What a day. Unbelievable. I'm, I'm high-fiving him to the point where my, my palm is red and itchy. Uh, long story short, <laughs> or it's probably too late for that, guess who comes walking up to the roulette wheel? Dr. J. Dr. J. No the way. The <laughs> NBA, you can look it up. The NBA All-Star Game in 1993 was in Salt Lake City, Utah. And where do you want to post up for a few days leading up to the game? You're going to hang out in Salt Lake City, no offense to you uh, Utahans, or are you going to hang out in Vegas for a couple days? So a lot of guys were in town. Jordan and Dr. J were two of them. They ended up walking away from the table. I stayed and I walked away from that roulette wheel with $22,000. True story. Wow. All from a check you wrote too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Crazy. That's incredible. So li- living in Vegas, that scene has changed so much since yeah. 93. For sure. In in regards to the legalization of sports gambling and online poker in other states, yep. how has that affected Vegas and the tourism there and everything else? I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I actually don't think, I mean, I do know from hosting Wisecracks with Bill that New Jersey is murdering it in sports betting. I want to say they had the largest drop in the history of any casino, of anything in Vegas, like in the month of maybe, maybe it was September last year or something like that. Don't quote me on all these numbers, but something like that. Like they've been killing it. 
But I think it all helps because it still doesn't replace Vegas, right? I mean, Vegas is this own animal. So even if anything, I think it paves the way for more business in the future because you have more people that could legally bet, more people that like to do it. And yeah, sure. And then they still go big in Vegas. And they still go big in Vegas. Of course. Yeah, sure. I think it's a good thing. So you're in the sports, you're in the boxing, MMA, Dodgers. But in regards to sports gambling, how deep are you into that knowledge? Because me as an athlete, no, nothing. I've never even stepped in a, in a bookie. Like there's just stuff that I don't know about that. So I'm curious as to your take. I like betting on the UFC fights. I do feel I'm pretty good at that one. Football, I don't really, I mean, I'll bet, but I don't like the spreads. I just bet money lines. Um, so I like trying to find the underdog that I think could win outright and make those bets with football. Baseball, I do like. I've been preaching to a lot of my buddies, Dodgers minus one and a half all day long. I don't want to say every day, but kind of like just, I know you're not going to win every day, obviously, but I think in the long run, Dodgers minus one and a half is a good bet. And just so you know, every game the Dodgers have won this year, they've covered that by more than two. I just, they have that explosive offense that I don't see them being in too many one-run games. So you might as well take them minus one and a half. And I like that bet more on the road than I do at home. So that can be really advantageous to you because they're probably going to be favorites almost everyone they play, but I think you'll get better odds on the road. And uh, you know, you're guaranteed nine at-bats on the road versus the eight at-bats. You may be a ninth at-bat at home, but usually you know, the runners on second and third in a tie game at home and someone hits a single, you're only getting credit for the one run instead of the two because the game's over once that first run crosses the plate. That if it was a top of the ninth in a scenario, you know, or you know, you'd get both runs. So I really like Dodgers minus one and a half. But I bet UFC. That's that's almost every week I'm betting UFC. So in in addition to going all in on the Dodgers and the UFC games that you're putting or matches you're putting money on for someone just getting started though. Yeah. What would you say? Would you say like fantasy football just to get like a glimpse or like a mobile app to get easy access? Where do you start? Yeah, that's tough. Fantasy football is fun because obviously you can get it's very time consuming, though. I mean, that's a that's a big commitment. It keeps you involved. Yeah, yeah. it keeps you involved. And they, I think it, being on a fantasy, having a fantasy football team, I would imagine will help you with betting on football because you're going to know all the numbers and you're going to know who's hot or all around the league and you're going to know who's injured and who's not all around the league where that you might not know that if you're just casually betting football games, you may not realize the number one wide receiver is not even playing today or whatever. So there are, I think there's a lot of factors you'll know about because you have a fantasy team. That's just a huge time commitment, but I think it would be smart regardless though with researching and like how much research can you do? I'm sure there's blogs and newsletters and websites to gather data, all the data you would need rather than just throwing money on your favorite team. Is is that possible for just someone getting started? Yeah, for sure. I mean, or there's a lot of guys, not to not to do a shameless plug here for, for my buddy Bill Krakenberger, but he has uh, the Crack Wins app. He's got a whole team of guys that do all that research you're talking about. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. You know, I think lifetime, I think last year, I want to say he was like 60, 60% or something, which is unheard of. There's a lot of guys, you got to be careful. There's a lot of those 
pro sports bettors that'll tell you they're they're hitting 70 percent 85 percent there's just no way man it's impossible i mean it's just a, it's an, an out lie when people are telling you that it's impossible it's being 52 percent, 53 percent is hard enough so what about matt barkley over under four thousand passing yards is that a bet you would take i'll take it i'll take it i'll take the over practice doesn't count <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> we'd have to to shoot for the stars on that one right Transition a little bit. We we mentioned your comedy and stand up as an opening act for your dad, which is probably the coolest thing ever. How do you think that decade of performing on stage prepared you for what you're doing now running running podcasts? Man, I am so glad you asked that question. Not just for podcasting, but I actually think everyone on the planet should try stand up one time. And don't worry about whether you're funny or not. It doesn't matter. The purpose of the exercise is to be willing to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. So important. And battle through it for even five minutes of stand-up, which, by the way, feels like an eternity the first time you go on stage. The first time I opened for my dad, never mind that, the first time I did stand-up was me opening for my dad Opening night in Branson, Missouri, where he lives, which is Branson has tons of like performing arts centers and theaters where people like the Osmonds and my dad and Wayne Newton have all done shows over the years. <laughs> 2000 people. I've never even held a microphone in my life. I wrote the material the night before because I, I was nervous and procrastinating all leading up to it. It's probably how fighters feel not to compare stand up to fighting, but it's that probably similar anxiety of nervousness. Oh, only, you know, you're not going to get punches thrown at you, but humiliation can hurt just as bad as a punch, I think. And I ripped through all my five minutes of material in about a minute, sweating like a pig. Somehow I got through this awful thing. Entertainment Tonight was there doing a feature on me and it was just terrible. I was so bad. I can't even believe my dad. I'm thankful that my dad let me go up there for the first three to six months where I was just horrible. And at the same time, I'm like, how could you do that to me? How could you do that to you? So embarrassing, so bad. But I think it teaches you a lot. It teaches you to problem solve in the heat of the moment with your words and you have to stay calm. And there's a lot of lessons that you learn by doing standup and you learn a lot about yourself. And even if you don't do well, if you guys do take me up on this and you try doing standup for five minutes, the self-confidence that will give you, I always say like, man, you're fearless after that. It, it, it's some of the most raw feedback you can get. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the opposite of an echo chamber where you're hearing what you want to hear. Like, right. if it hits, it hits. If it doesn't, you're going to know. You know instantly. Yeah. <laughs> Even like doing this, like we don't know if people are liking this or whatever. It, it is what it We're is. We're hilarious you know? right now, aren't we? This is fantastic. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the best podcast ever. But you know, when you do stand up, you absolutely know whether this is good or bad. You know, it's one of those few things that you know right away. Sports, very similar. Like, you, you know, if you had a good game or a bad game, yes. you, you know while it's happening in real time. If you're having a good game or bad game, you know, getting outside of your comfort zone, exposing yourself to your weaknesses, whether that's stand up sports, just pushing your comfort zones. I'm a huge fan of but even like my kids, letting them do things that are dangerous for them, but won't get them injured, I think are important just to for that growth that you'll get to experience. I'm with you. And that probably helped you be outspoken, too. And confident in your words. I mean, I, I saw an Instagram post you had, it was this video, you, you just crushing some movie you watched on Netflix. <laughs> you hated it. Just talking trash, flipping off the people who made the movie. Yeah. 
do you ever worry, maybe even in stand-up too, with some jokes, do you ever worry about burning bridges with people or? So when I did stand-up, I didn't worry because I opened for my dad and his audience was older. I was very vanilla. I didn't swear. Normally, I talk like a truck driver dropping F-bombs in my daily speak, not even out of anger, just the happy F-bombs. You know, opening for my dad, I was squeaky clean. It wasn't until I started working some comedy clubs. You know, I had a reverse comedy career. Normally, you do open mic night, then you start working at a comedy club, and then you get to open for people like my dad and Tom Jones and Paul Ank and Dion Warwick and all these cool people that I opened for. Mine was reverse. I started there and backtracked to the to the comedy club life. And when I got to the comedy club is when I realized how not funny I was because I was performing for like the older crowd. It was just easier. And it was like, you know, I didn't really have any material for a comedy club. And when I tried writing, I realized like, oh man, this is hard. <laughs> you know, it's easy to bowl. Because you had to relate to a different audience? Yeah, it's harder. And it's it's easy to bowl strikes when you're opening for your dad or even opening for Tom Jones. You know, just the perception of people is if you're opening for someone like my dad or Tom Jones or the, the Four Tops or the Temptations, the audience just assumes, oh, you must be good. You're opening for them. So the mindset is before you've said a word, their mindset is, oh, he's going to be funny. Where when you're in a comedy club on a random Wednesday night at 11 o'clock at night and you got a five minute spot, the audience is like it's a clean slate. Yeah, go ahead. Let's see what you got. <laughs> it's much harder in that setting. Did, did you ever say anything, whether that or on a podcast that you've regretted just because being authentic and being yourself and like we said with Chris Rock, like everything should be safe. Is there a line? I still try to be careful with comedy. I wish I wasn't like I wish I was completely uncensored. Like when it comes to being on the podcast and stuff, I flirt with certain things a little more if I'm really fired up or in the right mood or the wrong mood, depending. But I still think I'm I try to be careful because now I know, you know, it's sad that it's like that. But I know, like, you know, is it worth, you know, sometimes I like today I did it. Someone was talking about Elon Musk buying Twitter and they were like so bent out of shape over it. And I was going to start commenting and I'm like, you know what? For what? Like, I don't even know this guy. Like, I'm just, it just showed up my feet. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to give my two cents. I'm not doing it. Well, that tweet would not be deleted now if you were to say something about it. So, right. <laughs> yeah, I got to wait till he takes over. Then I'll chime yeah. in. <laughs> All right. So getting to the good stuff now. You are now the CEO of Maxim NFTs. I don't know how. <laughs> Apparently, everybody else said no. <laughs> but we, we've talked a lot about uh, the NFT world and Web3 on this show, but the Maxim connection is definitely new. So tell us about their plans, your role, and the move into NFTs and what kind of collabs we can expect. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of fun stuff we can do. You know, Maxim is this iconic brand that's over 25 years old. Obviously, I think if you're under maybe 30 or 35, which is interesting, it's an interesting challenge because I think the bulk of the NFT enthusiasts are under the age of 30. I mean, a lot of them are in their teens and early 20s. It's a young crowd. Yeah. yeah so when you say Maxim, it doesn't mean much to them. So that poses a challenge. But at the same time, I think it also means that Maxim can capture we can capture the older demo, mm. right? Because we are more trusted and we are, we do mean something to 40, 45, 50, 55 year old people. So I think there's a big opportunity for us to not only educate people on what NFTs are, because there's still so many that just don't, what non fungible token, what does that even mean? Right. 
And on the utility side, I think there's a lot of fun collabs we can do with models, with nightclubs across the world, you know, all over the world, movie producers. Yeah, it's not just going to be like a photo NFT or artwork. It's going to have use case. No, there's a lot of fun stuff. I mean, like I'm friends with Randall Emmett, the movie producer. He produced Lone Survivor, Two Guns with Denzel, The Irishman, you know, got nominated for for Best Picture. Um, He's also directing movies. Like, I think there's a lot of fun stuff we could do with someone like Randall, you know, where uh, maybe even a one-of-one, you could buy a role in a movie or something. I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, here's the digital script. Here's the physical script autographed by the cast of whatever his next movie is with Stallone, De Niro, Pesci, whoever, you know, and then also one page of dialogue in his next film or so. This isn't a deal I've done. This is just me, me dreaming. No, but it shows like what the, the power that NFTs have. And it's not just like your Twitter profile pic. It's right. It's a new fan club in a sense. It's a new way of interacting and providing a fan experience. Yeah. That's verified. It's not like you, you know, copy and pasted some PDF you found on some advertisement. It's verifiable. What what was your intro into into NFTs? Every year we do on Action Junkies, we do a 24-hour live podcast. Crazy. We're on for 24 straight hours and we have like over 40 <sighs> guests, you know, in Eight. studio and on Zoom. It's really like a fun thing. I just did it the first year. This was the third year we did it. You know, the first year we did it was 2020. The world ended like four days later. We did it the first weekend in March. I just did it. I thought it would be like a fun thing to do. And it was, although we tapped out in the 20th hour the first year because some guests canceled down the stretch and I was exhausted and I did it wrong. We started at like, I think eight o'clock at night the first year and I'm already up like 14 hours by then. Like, what was I thinking? Like, so fail, absolute fail. So when I was in hour 20 of the show, I was already up for like 36 hours. Like I was delirious. I was falling asleep on camera. It was terrible. The point I'm making is in 2021, we did the show and I remember I had an adult film star, Sophie D and her boyfriend slash manager, Tyler was on. And I know he's very into digital and tech and I remember on that show in, tw- in March of 2021, I said, Tyler, I'm hearing a lot about these NFTs. Explain it to me. And he was like, uh, it's non-fungible token. He's like, I don't really even know what that means. And we had this whole conversation of like, we don't know, but we know it's going to be big. That was March of 2021. And then I had them back on in March of 2022. They are heavily investing in NFTs, the both of them. And now I'm the CEO of Maxim NFT. I was like, wow, isn't that crazy how much can change in a year? And again, it's like a life lesson, right? You, you, no matter what your situation is, good or bad, you have to respect for the good and bad, that it can all be completely flipped in either direction for good and bad over the course of a year and really even over the course of 30 days. And it's important that we remember that. And if you're down and out or things aren't going your way, right? The football game's four quarters, man. Whatever happens in the first half, as we learned in that one Super Bowl in Atlanta or, or against Atlanta, right? Uh how you finish. A lot yep. can change the second half of the game. And so, uh, yeah, I'm real excited with with the NFT space. I mean, I think there's a lot we can do with Maxim. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And that'll happen from one conversation that you had that piqued your interest and went down the rabbit hole. There you go. Yeah, crazy, right? That That's kind of similar to my story and how I got into Bitcoin, Ethereum back in the day. But one conversation, guys, share with your friends, okay? That's all it takes. We've covered, I think, just about everything, 400 jobs and, and everything <laughs> under the sun. Is, is there anything I missed or something that you want to do that you haven't done yet? 
Something I want to do that I haven't done yet. Yes, I absolutely 100% need to make a movie in my lifetime. As a producer or you want to be in one? All of the above. I'd love to pr eventually produce, direct, and, and be in one. I've got some stories from my life that would be a great movie or a great, you know, series like like Ozark like, especially related to gambling. I've got some crazy. I told you the Michael Jordan story, but for every Michael Jordan story, I also have a heartbreaking, terrible story. So I would love to bring some of those stories to life on either the big screen or on the smaller screen. So that's definitely a bucket list thing. And hopefully we will do that with the man sitting just 20 feet away from me, Travis Flesher, my, my guy here at Sticky Paw Studios. He runs the studio, my partner over here, and uh, he's a film grad from UNLV. And uh, we got big plans, Matt. We got big plans. Boom. We're coming to you for funding, though. I think if Netflix, <laughs> if Netflix wants subscribers, just put your face front and center on, on the tiles of what's trending now. And there you go. Hey, I'm a draw. You know, you got Rogan and then Orlando. We're, we're almost, nah, we're not even in the same. Yeah, no, no draw. Uh, I love that. So, so for this last segment, I've prepared a little game. All right. That should be, it should be right up your alley, I think. Okay. I'm having a blast, by the way. Keep going. All right. This, this is fantastic. Yeah. And you got your start as an entertainer, currently live in Vegas. Yep. And this podcast is all about making money. So there's a little brief. Okay. Here's some questions about performers who have made the most cash on the strip. All right? Ooh, okay. Here we go. Number one. All right. This rocker opened the International Hotel in 1969 and went on to perform over 800 shows there. What is his name? Wow, okay, wait. This rocker, say, say it again, read it again. Tell me again. This rocker okay. opened the International Hotel in 1969 and went on to perform over 800 shows there. Here in Vegas. Here in Vegas. The International Hotel. The International Hotel, I don't know that one. Oh, this rocker. Oh my God, this is gonna be so shocking for me. Oh man, I don't. 69, rocker 69. A rocker in 69. There were only a few, I can imagine. A rocker. But there was one. Is Elvis a rock? Are we considering Elvis? Is Elvis? There you go. All right. Elvis Presley. Should have been a no-brainer. Adam Lieberman, my action junkie's co-host, when he hears this, is, I'm never going to hear the end of it. All right. 800 shows. Wow. Incredible. Okay, number two. One for one. We're on a good start. Her recent Planet Hollywood residency was a major success, pulling in over $100 million. Who is she? Britney Spears? Ding, ding, ding. All right. Two for two. Woo! Way to go. All right, number three. This comedian sold out the Hollywood Theater at MGM Grand for 15 weeks a year from 96 to 2003. Sold out. Since then, he's been putting up crazy numbers at the Luxor. Who is he? Carrot Top. Boom. Woo! You know your Vegas trivia. Look at this. All right. Three for three. Next question. This duo held a headlining residency at the Rio since 2001. Penn and Teller. Boom. Is that from being in the live shows or, <laughs> or do you watch uh, Can You Fool Us? No, I, I've never watched that, no. I know my Vegas pretty good. I know my Vegas. That's fantastic. I didn't even finish the question, boom. You like that? I've gotten caught down the rabbit hole watching some of those tricks trying to fool them. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a good show. Yeah, they're great. They do a good job. 
All right, next question, number five. We're undefeated. I, I hope we can keep this winning streak. She has two highest grossing residences in Vegas history, bringing in a staggering $600 million over the course of nearly 15 years. Who is she? Celine Dion. Boom. I'm the king of Vegas. Five for five. I'm the king of Vegas. <laughs> you are the king of Vegas. <laughs> number six. This color-themed collection of performers, I should not even have to finish the question. Yeah, I'll let you do it, but... Is still going with nightly <laughs> shows at the Luxor. Who we got? Blue Man Group. It's insane. I remember seeing Blue Man Group in New York <laughs> City when I was like five. And Really? The same guys. Can you believe that? They're st- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll never know. we'll never know if they're the same yeah, guys they're or good. not. <laughs> Number seven, undefeated so far. We got three more. I'm sweating. He was one half... Of a magician duo until he got mauled on stage by a tiger during the act. Oh, I don't know which one got mauled, though. Uh, Roy got mauled, right? Yes. Okay. Siegfried and Roy. Roy of Siegfried and Roy. That's a bad one, huh? It's all for showbiz. That's a bad day in the office. Yeah. Number eight. After being seven for seven. Okay. Last one, and then we'll have a bonus one. So this is it. This iconic New York City comedy club recently opened at a location in Vegas. Wise Guys. What is it? Right? Wise Guys Comedy Club? No. Did I I blow it? Wise Guys may very well have opened in Vegas, but this iconic New York City club. Caroline's? The Comedy Cellar. Oh. Opened in Vegas. Fail. And that is question eight. Fail. Bonus question. Okay, let me get the bonus one. Okay, you might be able to redeem yourself here. Oh, look at me. I'm sweating right now. Okay. If I go on to the cellar on open mic night, what are the odds that I might catch John Orlando running a new five minutes? Me doing a new five minutes? Like, if you do it, will I do it? Oh! I have been talking about... I've been getting the itch a little bit. I've actually, over the last year or two, been jotting down little, maybe, premises for bits on my notepad, on on my iPhone. I'm open to it. You gotta always be thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely open to it. I'm open to it. Well whether it's the wise guys or the comedy seller. Yeah. We might we might see up there again. Alright. Would you do it? I've gotten a lot more comfortable with public speaking just naturally being a quarterback and being Yeah. Kind of the voice. You kinda of have to be the voice. But in terms of like pre written jokes I guess it's just rehearsed stuff that's been in your head over and over, and you refine it, yeah. right? But I like more of like the quick-witted offhand jokes that kind of just catch people off guard. Yeah. Which I guess you can manufacture if it's in the right sure. you know, scenario. But Yeah, for sure. Maybe. Maybe one day. Yeah. We'll see. All right. All right. But that, that about wraps it up, John. Uh, thank you, buddy. Man, David. that was fun. That was fantastic, talking gambling, NFTs, showbiz everything in between where do you live where are you based out of you mentioned orange county that's home for me in the off season okay all right i'm in socal it's hard to beat yeah at the same time it's snowing in april here in buffalo new york and this place (laughs) has like a special place in my heart the the fan base there's something about it that is like a second home to us so yeah california buffalo all right maybe vegas one day we'll get yeah come on John, thank you so, so much for joining me today and talking gambling, NFTs, everything in between, man. That was awesome. 
If you guys enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and leave a review or subscribe if you haven't already so that you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Barkley, and this has been Making Bread.